Do you ever find yourself confused when it comes to health and fitness? Have you been searching relentlessly on the most effective ways to achieve your fitness-related goals, only to find yourself even more frustrated? Well, we've got you covered. It's time to learn from the best, shorten your learning curve, and truly understand how to achieve your goals without spinning your wheels and wasting precious time. Welcome to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. Welcome back to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts because, well, we have two of us. And the other one is Brett Jones. Brett, how are you, man? I'm fabulous. You know, just plugging along here and uh, getting, uh, trying to do all the things. Um, yeah, that's all I got today. Which how's, just, that, uh, how's that working for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's not easy. Uh, we've got had some house projects going on and we've got some a bunch of work going on and, and uh yeah it's just been a really kind of crazy time frame um so yeah just keep all the balls in the air keep all the plates spinning um i I'm, i'll come up with another cliche uh by the end of the podcast but uh yeah <laughs> you you're, you're always good for for several solid cliches um you, you know you know one thing that i've learned is as i've gotten older and and, and i've learned a a valuable lesson from from my therapist is Life's not going to get any any less crazy. So life's just life and it's going to be crazy regardless. So that's how I reframe thing. I don't want to say the new norm because that just reminds me of COVID and I just, COVID sucked. Well, actually stuff after COVID sucked too, but <laughs> um, yeah, it, it is what it is. So when someone asks, I'm not going to say, oh, life's crazy. I'm just going to say life's life because well, life's crazy. So um, yeah, anyways, so we're not talking about that, but we are going to, we're going to give you some valuable, <laughs> valuable advice on, uh, this is more for, for really, I would say the parents of athletes, high school athletes, you know, um, any athletes that are going to be competing in the fall. Um, and as a strength and conditioning coach, one of my jobs is to get athletes ready for fall sports and, and primarily here up in, in Massachusetts in the fall, it's, it's mostly soccer and football, um, and, uh, unfortunately a lot of these individuals cram or they, uh, they don't do what they're supposed to do, or they skip the program, or they just skip vital components of a program and end up in the training room in the first, you know, one to three weeks of camp because, uh, they didn't prepare properly. And there were the ATCs that had to go up there and, and clean up all of the messes that, that, uh, could have been somewhat avoided. I don't want to say we can avoid all of them because then, then I'd be lying, but um, let's just say decision-making and preparation <laughs> makes, makes a significant difference when it comes to, uh, injuries, et cetera. So, um, Brett, um, as, as an ATC, when you were working actively as an ATC, um, what, what, what were you dealing with in the training room the most in the fall? Uh, well, kids don't come in you know, prepared, uh, for, for the stresses of the, of the season. And you, uh, if you're following a scholastic calendar, um, and you're trying to get ready for the start of the fall seasons, you're in a rush. You're trying to go from zero to hero and, uh, and get ready for that first game. And, um, you know, if you haven't done some, some of your own work prior to that, then you're coming in unprepared and, you know, coaches, you know, programs, I'll, 
try to stay away from saying anything very specific, but programs in general will try to do one of two things. Uh, they will send out summer programs that the kids are supposed to follow, um, or they try to have some sort of intense, you know, onboarding, you know, as the season gets started. Uh, some programs will have little tests that they would just let the the athletes know they need to be ready for. You know, one of the classics uh, within football is like the uh, what sixteen one tens. You know, you run the field, you're you're running the field like I don't know some crazy number of times, um, and it has to happen within a certain time frame or or ratio. Um, so they try to put some things in place that would motivate the the kids to you know do something in the in the off season. Um, what I've seen from all season programs is they tend to be cookie cutter. Um, you don't even know if the kid knows how to perform exercise X that's in the list, but yet it's on the list. Um, <laughs> so it's just kind of these, these blanket, and I guess you're relying on YouTube university to, you know, go, go see it and figure out, you know, what's, what's going on with it. Um, so th those are kind of the biggest things. Cause you know, when you look at, uh, changes in tissue stress when you go from zero to hero and you try to go from, you know, maybe having been on a couple weeks vacation to running 16, one tens, um, problems develop. Um, and when, when we look at high school athletics in general, um, ankles, ankle and foot injuries would be the most prevalent, not the most catastrophic, but the most prevalent. Um, so we want to have a good way of of screening and preparing uh, the the feet and ankles for for the stress they're going to be under, and then it's your classic, you know, hamstring pulls, adductor pulls, um, you know, things of that nature that uh, the the tissues just weren't ready for the uh, the sort of stress uh, that they were going to be placed under. And and I think an, an interesting new wrinkle that's developed over the last we'll call it the last decade, and it's been a little while since I was an AT. Um, I, I, I won't get into specific numbers, but uh, it was a couple of presidents ago. <laughs> so it was a while ago. Um, but, you know, the, the year rounds athlete is a somewhat new thing where kids go from summer league to fall league to winter uh, practices to spring, um, whatever right back into summer, you know, maybe they get a week or two where the family goes on vacation, but, um, you know, it, it tends to be a, an ongoing stress. So now it's two different things. You're going to have an athlete who hasn't had any time off and they're in that overuse and overload situation. able to work both sides of that equation yeah it's uh it's load management right it's either generally it's underloading or overloading and the answer is is somewhere in the middle and i think i think that's the one thing people don't really think about quite often when they're looking at conditioning based programs in general like it's easy to look at a strength training program and look at the volume and go oh that you know that looks okay but um you know, as far as understanding load and, and volume and adaptation and, you know, super compensation and making sure that you're recovering. Um, I think a lot of sports coaches just don't understand the basics of, you know, physiology and sports science. They just think, well, if I just throw volume and volume and volume, it'll, it'll forge them into fitness, right? It'll forge them into getting fit, but 
yeah, it may get them fit, but it, you know, you are going to have some casualties along the way. And that's usually tweaks, twinges, muscle pulls, et cetera. And, and the problem is, is that if you can survive the beatdown, you're just managing injuries and tweaks and twinges for the entire season anyways. So it's a really hard thing to, to deal with because it's almost like once you're behind, you're behind and you're just playing catch up all the time. And, and look, if you're a high school athlete or even a collegiate athlete, you don't have the same opportunities to do recovery work and, and to get treatment that a pro athlete would. I mean, they can go in and they can get, you know, everything, every modality, every type of, you know, dry needling, ART, they get everything to expedite that process. And, you know, a lot of the times, if, if you can even find a good physical therapist for, for youth athlete, you're doing all right. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, but I think the key is learning how to balance the total schedule of what the year looks like. And that's really hard too, because like you said, there's never any days off, which is funny because what is the goal? It's a rhetorical question. What is the goal of most competitive athletes at high school? If they really want to compete. They want to go to college and hopefully they, if they play college and they do well, they want to go and play at the pros. Well, they have the pros and, 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 and colleges have off seasons. They have a bunch of time where they don't, they don't compete. I'm not saying they don't do anything, but they, they actually rest and deload, which is funny because that's how the pros do it. And in order to make it to the pros, you have to beat the hell out of yourself pretty much 12 months out of the year to play at the highest level. And it's, and it's backwards. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know that, uh, cramming is not going to, is not going to do it. And I know that, um, uh, just hard work is, is a piece of the puzzle, but you can work hard and dumb too. So I don't know. It's a, it's a slippery slope. I don't know what the answer is, but, um, I know that it's a problem and hopefully we can shed some light on being part of the solution. Well, and so a 30,000 foot view just on programs in general, um, some programs operate on, uh, identifying versus developing athletes. Um, and that the programs that are just good at identifying good athletes typically have a, a large student body or a large pool of people to draw from. Uh, you put together a grinder that if you're able to survive the, the training, you're probably a pretty good athlete and you're, you're probably going to do okay. Um, the problem is the, um, the, the kids that get left by the wayside who get chewed up and spit out by that machine that is just built to identify the athletes who would have been successful regardless of what you did with yeah, them. Anyways, um, exactly. Is, yeah, is that would a whole other podcast on, yeah. you know, um, people taking credit for other people's athleticism, um, when they had nothing to do with it. Um, so versus a program that takes kids and really develops physical attributes and talents. So, you know, knowing what grinder you're dropping your kid into, I think is important. I think it's important that, um, and I've asked pro uh, strength coaches at different sports and different levels, um, this question, you know, what is the influence of the personal trainer um, or the uh, home, you know, performance program uh, on what you're doing? And it's a range of answers. Uh, there's people out there that are doing a pretty good job of communicating with and 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 controlling volume. They're not trying to make, you know, athlete Susie or, or Billy, you know, the a better athlete. They're trying to develop some physical capacities that they need to to develop. 
um, and they they know what's going to be asked of them in the coming uh, time frame of when they're competing. So communication, shockingly, uh, turns out to be a pretty important piece of the puzzle, that if you're going to start preparing kids for sport at a particular school or program or whatever, uh, communicating with the coach to say, hey, I'm, I'm working with some of your kids. Um, what did you see last year? What would, what would you like them to be better at? What are what are you going to be doing with them when you get into the beginning of the season? And and let's communicate um, yeah. and and de- develop some some rapport that allows you to say, okay, um, this I know I need to work on this and kind of something that's pinging around in the back of my uh, empty skull in in the the available space for things to ping around in <laughs> is. Um, when you when you look at things, uh, understanding the sport, and and it's a double edged sword, because I can actually put together a pretty generic strength conditioning routine. You need to do some get ups. You need to do some swings. We should probably do some sort of pull up or uh, pulling exercise. We should press something. Uh, we should do some single leg work. Did I say that already? Because if I said it twice, it's that important. Um, <laughs> and so I, I can put together a generic, you know, um, routine. But when you get into the specifics, like when you take somebody like, um, I, it's an old study, but they were comparing um, women's basketball, women's volleyball, and who had the better vertical leaps. Well, it was women's volleyball by leaps and bounds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see, I knew that. that was see what I did there. Yeah, I knew that was, <laughs> that was right around dad, the corner. Dad, dad joke um but you know they the net blocking a shot spiking a shot is achievable so they spend a lot of time doing it the net and the rim and dunking for a variety of of women's basketball players not that achievable they actually don't spend that much time jumping now when you're looking at the strength conditioning routine for that volleyball team that you already know is doing a lot of jumping in practice do you really need to program plyometrics? But what do most strength coaches do? They go ahead and plug in 200 plyometric touches when they're getting ready to go practice for two hours and have 500 more plyometric touches. So understanding uh, the demands of the sport, understanding what that athlete is going to do in practice um, versus what you need to develop for them in the weight room or outside of the practice is, is a key point uh, towards effective, uh, athletic, um, coaching or training athletes. Absolutely. And, you know, another thing that I see, uh, quite often is when, you know, this is more for athletes finishing high school, because we're talking a little bit more about collegiate set, uh, collegiate settings here. Um, you know, they, they hand them this packet and it is, it's volume and volume and volume and volume. Right. And, and look, if you don't know what you're doing, a shit ton of volume will get you somewhere. And that's kind of what they're banking on. No, no, seriously. It's like, like if I said, look, I know, you know, Brett, I know you don't know anything about strength training, but just, I need you to do 200 pushups every day as fast as possible. If you did that every day for a month, you're going to come in, you're going to look different. So it's like, it's not, you know what I'm saying now? You'll probably have a pissed off shoulder and a few other things going on in the process, but you'll get a little bit bigger, but that's not the point, right? So the reason why volume works is just simply because if you throw enough stuff at someone and they do enough stuff with enough intensity, there'll be some sort of adaptation. So a lot of the times they throw volume at you just to make sure that something you're getting something done. 
Um, and also because they probably, most people don't have access to a local strength and conditioning coach that knows about periodization that knows about, you know, programming rest and, uh, you know, work to rest ratios, all that other stuff, technique, cueing the sport. I mean, there's a lot that goes into this. So, um, they kind of have to send something out that is just going to beat you down a little bit. And look, I'm not here to pick on CrossFit, but CrossFit, if you do it enough and you do it with enough intensity and you stick with it, you'll get really fit. You get some of the, you know, some of the amazing athletes come out of CrossFit, but it's not because of there's on this amazing periodization scheme. It's just, it's got the hammer down. And if you just keep the hammer down, yeah, you can, you can, you can get some good stuff done, but like I said before, there's going to be some casualties along the way. So, you know, when in doubt volume works until it doesn't. And then you actually have to know what you're doing because you can't just keep on adding more volume. It's like trying to build the aerobic base. If you're at the point where you're doing a 90 minute or two hour session, you don't need to do more within that session. There's better ways to make progress. You just can't keep on adding mileage or, or volume. Right. And that's, that is where, understanding how to test measure and extrapolate data and reverse engineer a really good program comes in. And that's, that's what good coaches can do. So, but, you know, we've kind of talked about college. Let's talk a little bit about high school. I, I think you mentioned it earlier. There's these tests. Now, you know, I was a soccer player and we had a couple different tests. One was the Cooper. It was the two mile, you know, see how long it took you to do, to do the two mile. Most of the time they wanted you to do it in high school, I think maybe 14 minutes, which is still a pretty good clip, seven minute mile. And in, in, in college, it was, uh, I want to say it was 12, which is a, <laughs> a six minute mile is a pretty good clip. Um, or maybe it was 13, but regardless, this is what happened though. They knew what the test was. So what did they do? They practiced the test. You know how I know? Guess who practiced the <laughs> test? I mean, I was at a point when I was, and again, I wasn't like this amazing athlete, but I could run three miles in sub 18 minutes. Um, I was running a five minute mile and, you know, I was a pretty fit dude, but I was really good at running. It didn't help my soccer that much. It helped, it helped for a bit, but I didn't have that specific stressors that was going to allow me to withstand the rigors of, of hard training for soccer. I didn't have the cutting, the change of direction, the deceleration, all that stuff. That's really, really hard on your body. Let's be honest. Running in straight lines. Isn't that hard. It shouldn't be if you're actually doing it right, but it's, it's all of the rigors of, you know, being able to, you know, battle in a corner for 10 seconds and then do a 40 yard sprint and then have to do multiple bouts of that. That's kind of what soccer is. And, but I was just running long distance, but I got, so I got really good at running. And then I went to the season. I'm like, why am I getting so tired? I crushed these tests. Well, I was good at the test, but I didn't prepare for the sport. And I think that's what happens a lot too, is they prepare for the test and it's like, oh, I got the Cooper test. Okay, it's cool. You did, you did your two miles in 12 minutes. Fantastic. You still suck at soccer. <laughs> so now you have to determine like, what, what are you trying to get good at? You're trying to get good at soccer. Or are you trying to get, get good at running? And, and ideally you should, you know, try to get, you know, you should try to get fit for soccer. You shouldn't, unless you want to just do running. And if you want to just do running, then just do track and field or, you know, cross country. So um, it's a double-edged sword, but you need to know what you're preparing for. And you need to look big picture and you need to look sort of what the season's going to look like. Because if you peak on the first day of camp, that's not good. When do you need to peak? You should be peaking eight to 10 weeks down the road when playoffs happen. Usually eight to 10 weeks down the road, we're not seeing peaks in athletes. We're seeing breakdowns. 
And the good ones actually can can do a pretty good job. And I would argue that maybe they're not peaking at the end of the season. They're just not injured. <laughs> maybe that's peaking. They're the ones that are able to keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they they sustained the same effort uh, across the, the season. When everybody else is slowing down, they're mm-hmm. they're maintaining. Mm-hmm. Um slight slight change in 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 tactic. We'll come back to we'll come back to more like specific prep here in a minute, but Let's talk about the strength base, because I, I think that uh, there are some really generic things um, that if if most people preparing for whatever season, <clears throat> if they spend some time on it, um, it would it would definitely benefit them. Um, you need a couple big strength moves, um, some sort of deadlift or squat that is going to load you up a little bit and allow you to build just kind of that base level of strength. Um, towards the end of my powerlifting time, you know, I got very squat obsessed and moving my squat up, um, brought my deadlift up by like 50 pounds. Um, but I wasn't deadlifting that much. So there are some big strength moves that you can get into. And I'm not saying you need to train it like a powerlifter. I'm saying you need to do some intelligent, good, low rep one third to two thirds of your RM at a particular load, uh, strength training that allows you to build your strength base. Um, most athletes should get into some sort of pull-up, some sort of pull-up, chin up, the lat glute, uh, slash running sprinting connection is strong and you should have some, and grip strength helps everything else. Like it, it's a good activity to, to build into, uh, safely and intelligently. If pull-ups aren't possible, then you're working your inverted rows and you're doing some sort of big pulling pro, uh, pulling exercise. Single leg work. Airborne, I, I, I remain convinced that airborne lunge and single leg deadlift, if you spend time getting good at those two drills, you take care of a lot of what you need from a single leg uh, perspective. Uh, have a good power move, like swings, snatches. Uh, things of that nature that that really allow you to build power. Uh, it, it's a little bit of mel- metabolic conditioning if you work your energy systems and work rest ratios correctly. Um, and and really, I mean, if 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 that was the base program, and I'm going to say add get ups because well, it's me and uh, I like get ups, and so I think that uh, everybody should be doing them. Um, so I, I think with a with a simple kind of template like that. The other benefit of all of this, these aren't really super high skill moves. I love it when I see a kid come back with a program from whatever university X uh, or Q and um, and they're like, well, you know, five sets of six hang cleans and, and power snatches. And it's like this kid's never touched a barbell. They've never done an Olympic lift. And now they have to somehow figure out how to do these on their own. Um and I'll, I'll be honest, as a as a former AT, well, I'm still certified as an AT, but I haven't worked as an AT for a long time. As a strength coach, uh, if a kid came to me with uh, the barbell Olympic lifts, I'm going to send them to somebody else. I'm not good at it. I'm I've well, I've never needed to be because I can get you swinging a kettlebell in five minutes. I might be three months getting you to hand clean, respectively, where you can start adding some load to it. And that's I know which one I'm picking. <laughs> <laughs> and the respectively move weight is the one because we want adaptations, right? We want to get those adaptations quick. So the question is, is in three months, 
you're just you're just dialing in technique and timing because there's so many aspects of a clean or power clean. So it's like you're right. I mean, if we can nail down a, a really good kettlebell swing um, and and really get it crisp within a few weeks, you can get a training effect immediately. And uh, I'd rather have someone do that than a you know a, a crappy a crappy barbell you know hand clean. I, I never understood that, but. Yeah. I, that's why I don't program it. But, um, to your point about, um, you know, a very, very simple program. Yeah. You want those, what I found is, is working with, um, soccer, lacrosse, um, more of the, the, the sort of field and sport, um, uh, more of the turf based sports. Um, absolutely. I found that adding in a bunch of single leg work is so important. Um, and, and you're right, airborne lunge and single leg deadlift are the sweet spots. And, and I would also argue a lot of direct calf training. Um, and then the only other thing I would add in there would be, um, a little bit more multi-planar stuff, like getting into like a, like a lateral lunge or a Cossack where you're, you know, kind of moving in a little bit different plane, um, you know, loading a little bit differently. I would say with those three, you're going to get what you need. And the beauty of it is you don't have to load. You don't have to use a lot of external load to get a big, you know, to get a lot of feedback, right. You don't have to load your spine up with a ton of weight. Um, and, uh, you do, you just, it's, they're one of those actually, th those exercises are the ones that if you do them, they're going to keep you healthy, right? They're going to keep your joints lubricated. Um, and they also will give you some feedback because like a Cossack, if you have a tough time getting into a Cossack and you try to go right to a Cossack, your body's going to go, Oh dude, you need a little bit more prep. So I think exercises like the single leg deadlift and the Cossack and, uh, the airborne lynch, they keep you honest from a movement competency standpoint too, because look, anybody can probably reach down to a high handle trap bar show me a flat back and grip and rip. That's that. It doesn't take a lot of movement competency to get into that position. I'm not poo-pooing on trap bar deadlifts, but I'm just saying they're not the hardest thing in the world to teach, but they don't, they don't ask a ton of mobility. They don't demand a ton of mobility in a high handle trap bar. Whereas an airborne lunge, well, if you know, you know how high you were tapping your knee to in an airborne lunge, in the prior week, well, we know if you're having a tough time getting there, well, maybe we need to spend two to three extra minutes just opening up your ankle to your hip. So it's almost like you get a little bit of a screen, a little bit of a biofeedback in there too. And I think those exercises are fantastic because they're, they're sensitive enough too, where you can feel like, oh, wow, that does feel like a little bit more gunky when I'm going to that, that Cossack position or man, when I usually Cossack and I'm, and I'm weight shifting to my left side, um, I usually drop down and today I can't. So I need to spend a little bit more time. So I think anytime you can give exercises that just make people pay a little bit more attention from a movement and a positional standpoint. I think it's a, uh, it's a, a road to ownership when it comes to movement. Yeah. So the, the strength base, I think is something that actually should be pretty easy to, to put together. Um, and it should be things that the kids can do with success and, and, um, and, and confidence and, you know, coaches will get worried about variety. Um, save that for the field. Um, you, you don't need variety in your strength conditioning program. You, you need intelligently designed programs, but, um, I don't need to switch exercises every four weeks, um, uh, every six <laughs> weeks. Usually that's just when the athletes figure out how to do the exercise and they're actually starting to groove on it. Um, from a conditioning standpoint, I think that, uh, well, we, we mentioned the kettlebell ballistics, which I think should be the foundation for about any, um, speed, power or, um, conditioning work. Um, but flying tens, flying twenties, um, are kind of continuing to pop to the top of the list of something that if you spend a little bit of time working on speed with a flying 10 or a flying 20, 
um, I think you get some really good uh, return on investment and it's a low, lower risk uh, sort of return. Um, then the, the, the key is go play. Mm-hmm. I didn't say go compete. I said, go play. Yeah. Get some friends and have a short-sighted game, have a four-on-four, have a, you know, whatever your sport uh, can can do, uh, go play because and and treat it as play. Have fun with it. Uh, I, I think most athletes would have started down a journey with a particular sport because they enjoyed it. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. They were playing with their friends. Go play, go there, have a little bit of fun. There, there's something to be said about just the unscripted pickup game, right? Like there's, you know, that's, that's honestly, I think that is where I gained a lot of my athleticism as a, as a young teenager, just, just playing, having fun, messing around, playing, you know, just doing just mess, just making up stuff. I mean, I mean, some of the stuff looking at it now, I'm like, I probably shouldn't have been jumping out of second story windows, but it is what it is. Um, but no, you're right. The, the, the play component. And, uh, I think if you can do a little bit of strength training, you know, I'm talking preseason in the summer, hit the gym two to three days a week, you know, go do some small sided stuff where you're working hard, where you're playing at game speed. And then, you know, if you're doing that, to be honest, if you're playing small-sided games, 2v2, 3v3, 4v4, and you're competing, if you, as long as you're not overdoing it, a little bit of extra tempo runs just to open your legs up, that's all you're going to need because you're already going to be moving at game speed. And, and that's the beauty. But play, have fun. Do 2v2s, do 1v1s. I mean, like back in the day, I used to go with my buddy Dan, and, and Dan, uh, he was a goalie, but I, was, I wasn't I was a goalie. So we'd go out, we'd sneak onto the local turf field and at, at Wheaton College because that was the only one in town because our town fields in Norton were absolutely trash. And we'd sneak onto the fields and we'd find the, find the best fields we could. We'd just play. We would literally make stuff up. We didn't know what we were doing, but we knew that we just needed to get better. And we figured some stuff out along the way, but it came from it came from a point of like experimentation, just wanting to get better and just trying to find ways to get better. We didn't have strength and conditioning coaches. So yeah, just get out there and, and, uh, it's just, you know, I, I think don't look at sports as a season, just look at sports as a, you know, it's, it, if you're going to be competing all year round, you need to think I got to take care of myself all year round, which means I need to train all year round. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's one of the best ways to look at it because, um, if you keep yourself relatively help, healthy and, and, in decent shape, you're going to be less sort of impacted by those big, big high stress days. Right. Um, and, uh, it's like preparing for like a, like an SFG one weekend, right? If you've done the work, yeah, the weekend's going to be hard, but it's not going to be nearly as hard as the person that didn't do the work. And look, you've done more of these than I have, but we know what someone looks like when they did the work. And then we've seen the, (laughs) we've seen them on the sidelines, not being able to finish because they are just absolutely destroyed. And, um, it's kind of like, it's, it's easier to stay in shape than it is to get out of shape and then get back to it. And that's a whole nother discussion about, you know, that, but, um, we're just rambling now. That's all we're doing. We're just rambling or I'm just rambling. So. Well, I, I think the, uh, the temptation to try to check all the boxes, uh, especially with youth athletes, um, you know, the, the 30 different things they might be asked to do on the field, um, don't try to cover those 30 things, cover yeah. their strength base, 
Make sure you've got the single leg working there. Ankles are tiled in. Uh, they're doing some sprinting uh, and they're they're doing some sort of the ballistics and you know keep that something that's very achievable, uh, a volume that can be easily recovered from, and then let them go play. Because to your point, that's where you're going to learn. That's where you actually start applying all of this stuff. Um, and you'll be surprised what kids come back with. Yeah. And I think this is also where a good coach is able to identify for the athlete um, one or two skills that if the if that athlete spent some time on, they would come back in a better position for the next year. Um, and that, that should be the end of any season uh, for – uh, any group of athletes should be a conversation with the coach about the one to two things that they should key in on. Um, and maybe it's tactics. Maybe you just need to understand the game better. Maybe it maybe it is uh, your ability to I don't, I don't know, pick a sport and whatever movement. I, I don't know anything. Um, but, you know, they should be able to identify one to two, maybe one to three things that uh, if that athlete spent time on, they'd come back better. And then like, I always use the example of from a golfing standpoint, yes, I have swung a golf club. I would not consider myself any sort of golf coach, but when my students and people that come to, to work with me who are golfers and I can have a conversation with their swing coach and that golf professional tells me, well, you know, this person needs to be able to turn into their backswing better. I got that. Yeah. I can help you clear that movement and and get better at that so that the next time you go to your golf coach, they can they the cue, the thing they're trying to get you to do will be better, uh, more accessible. That's my job. Um, if you lack ankle mobility and you're struggling with coordination on the field, I, I'm not wondering why you're struggling with coordination on the field. You you can't access your ankles to a point where you can actually cut, decelerate, change directions the same way somebody that owns good ankle mobility does. So that's my job as, as a strength coach. And um, there's, there's generics because there's generics. That's how we practice medicine. <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a playbook uh, that you then have to ind individualize. And it, it remains true for a lot of different things. So um, I, I think the temptation going into a season is to overdo it. Um I'll take the slightly underprepared athlete versus the overloaded, stressed out, fatigued athlete. And so, um, and, and the fun aspect, I, I, I will come back to that seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Um, if, if your kids aren't laughing and, and they're not having fun, that's the first, first box to check. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we covered a lot today, but I, I think I, I think the the moral of the story here is, um, you know, it's the old uh, Boy Scouts motto, be prepared. <laughs> Never hurts to be prepared. And, uh, you know, uh, doing your due diligence as an athlete um, is, is, is part of that. And um, look, if you're if you're an athlete, you're in charge of your destiny. You make your decisions, um, you know, seek out the, the good ones, seek out the good coaches, seek out the great coaches seek out the teammates that are going to push you that are going to hold you accountable to be the best version of yourself and uh you're gonna you're gonna have a good career and you're gonna have some fun in the process so um as always we appreciate you guys listening uh do us a huge favor and give us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to and we'll see you on the next episode
Hey friends, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, we're going to ask you for a favor. Please leave us some positive reviews. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Thanks again for listening to the Minimum Effective Dose Podcast.